0: at the topic of who on earth the Holy Spirit is. And unfortunately for me, we do a question and answer at the end of it too. So my number is up there on the screen, so you can text through questions as I preach, or at the end, I'll open it up to the floor anyway, and you can just ask in person. Um, But I will keep my phone here to actually see your questions as they come through. Um, So yes, as I said, my name is Scott, I am a, second year student of biomedical science in Queens and I'm filling in basically because all of our staff are way off uh, having fun at the minute. Um, But I am speaking as just another member of the congregation uh, so that does mean that you're not allowed to ask anything too difficult whenever the Q&A starts. Um, Yes, looking this evening at who on earth is the Holy Spirit and maybe whenever you think about how the Holy Spirit works you think about some of the events in the Bible or some of the events even that you've seen with your own eyes, which to be honest are pretty strange. Or you automatically think of one of those happy clappy arm-raising churches, and I'm not against them, but I do think automatically our minds can go to them whenever we think about experiencing the Holy Spirit. And so I'm speaking this evening as somebody who has been transformed by the Spirit and someone who's experienced the Spirit in a very real way. And maybe as I say that, you're wondering, well, have I experienced the Holy Spirit? In fact, do I even know who on earth the Holy Spirit is? Well, consider the idea first that you have grown up on a desert island with just a Bible to read. I think that's probably the upbringing of most ministers, um, and that was their childhood, I would imagine. Uh, But then you come here to Northern Ireland to experience what church is like. And my guess is that you would be shocked. Why do I say that? Because I think if you were not impacted by your experience of church here in Northern Ireland, whatever that looks like, having only a Bible to read, you would have very different expectations of the Holy Spirit. And my hope is that you leave here not only knowing who the Holy Spirit is, but also knowing what it looks like to experience him in your everyday life. None of us are going to be able to relate perfectly to that perfect spirit-led life. But I hope most of us will be able to see signs of him working in our lives. And I hope that all of us here will walk away raised, with raised expectations of what the Holy Spirit can do. And so last week, uh, if you weren't here, John was looking at if we can really believe there's a God. And he very briefly looked at Genesis 1. And it's actually in this chapter where we see the first mention of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but whenever I've heard an account of Genesis, I very rarely actually heard of any comment made on the fact that the Spirit was there. But I guess this is the first really significant thing that we see of the Holy Spirit. Because look at that, the earth was without form and void. I don't wanna to assume too much, but I don't think that you would need to be doing a biomedical science degree to see that that doesn't really seem like somewhere where life can be brought into. It's without form and it is void, it's empty. And yet what does it say right after that verse? Those three words that we knew, and God said. Those words which we know begin the process of God speaking uh, the world into existence, and the Spirit is right there in that process. In fact, look what God says on the sixth day. He doesn't say, let me, but he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And I. You'll have to excuse me, but I'm about to go a little bit nerdy here for a second, uh, because that word for spirit in Hebrew, and you also have to excuse the pronunciation of this, is ruach. I know, very nerdy. And it can also mean wind or breath. So later in Genesis, in chapter two, verse seven, when we read about the creation of man, and it says, "The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath." of life he breathed in the ruach the spirit of life job 33 verse 4 says the spirit of god has made me and the breath or the ruach or the spirit of the almighty gives me life so god's spirit gives life what started looking very much like a lost cause for life empty and void the spirit then transforms into a place where life can dwell But let's not just stop there because this is where it really matters. Here's the link that matters because here's where we find hope as humans who are sinful, humans who don't live up to the perfect standard of a holy God. In John 3, verse 3, Jesus says this to Nicodemus. This is a man who's tried every bit of religious practice to be right with God. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. On our own, we are a lost cause for knowing God. We're a lost cause for any kind of spiritual life. We are, what Ephesians 2, 1 says, dead in our trespasses and sins. Yet what Jesus will go on to explain then is that you can know God. And not by doing X, Y, and Z, which seem Christian-y but by the Spirit actually opening your eyes to see the truth of the gospel for what it really is, and when it clicks that Jesus physically came to earth to die for your sins so that you could know God in a very real way, you need to believe that that is a work of the Holy Spirit because those are spiritual truths only made real to us through the Holy Spirit. A few verses later then, in John 3, verse 6, Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now I love this image of being born again because, come on, like we have to be real here. What do we ever contribute to being born? And if you're not sure about that answer, you can ask any mother, and I'm sure they'll put you right on that one, because you contribute nothing to it. Your faith beginning to end is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous gift of the spirit to be born again. And now, from our reading that was on the screen earlier, we read that we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, etc., etc. the list goes on. But even in the midst of that, God in his mercy saves us by the washing of renewal and regeneration by the Holy Spirit, making us righteous because what Jesus has achieved on the cross and what the Spirit then applies to our lives There's so many factors involved in someone coming to faith in Jesus. It takes someone to explain the gospel in a way they understand. Maybe it's the witness of some Christian friends. Maybe it's a significant event which has kind of changed your perspective on things and your free will in being active and actually making a decision. But the decisive and the ultimate factor in anyone coming to faith in Christ is God pouring out grace through the giving of his spirit. How can you know you've experienced the spirit. Well, are you trusting in Jesus today? Has God revealed truth from his word to you? Because to not have the spirit, and I speak from experience on this one, it feels like sweet nothing. You would not understand the gospel in a way that actually makes a difference to your life. You might understand the logic of it, but you will not understand it in a way that makes a difference to your life. And so my prayer this evening is that more and more the spirit would reveal the truth of God to you as you read his word or that maybe even for the first time tonight you'd grasp the reality that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. That chasing after anything else for satisfaction is meaningless because only your creator can satisfy that longing. Ask God to help you by his spirit because as our next point says, he delights in coming to bring glory to God. The Spirit works to bring glory to God. And now we throw this word glory around a lot. It's a pretty churchy term because we only really use it in the context of bringing glory to God. Like what does that actually mean? As John Piper, who's a preacher in America, he loves this word. One of my housemates says it a lot, but i not going <laughs> um, But I find this explanation that he gave particularly helpful. It's essentially to magnify God, but not in the way that a microscope magnifies, where it makes a small thing look bigger than it really is. He says we're called to magnify God like a telescope magnifies, where it makes a big thing start to appear as big as it really is. We're called to be those telescope magnifiers. And from start to end of your salvation, it's the spirit who's working in you to bring glory to God. And I remember you're thinking, well, the Holy Spirit is God. And make no mistake, this is actually God bringing glory to God. Like this is God sending his spirit to open your eyes so that you see him and worship him for who he really is. And when he dwells in you as a believer, he marks you as holy and set apart for God then he also works in you to make you more holy. So that all the more your life will magnify God. And let me explain that a bit. So from the moment that I'm born, I am legally my mom's son forever. Nothing she can do about it. Like that is a definitive act. But it's only then as I get older and as I start to develop some of her mannerisms and her traits, and more people then start to begin to say, Oh, you really are your mom's son. When the Holy Spirit dwells in you, in that moment you are set apart and marked as a child of God, sealed to the very end. But then as you grow as a Christian, He also works to make you more like Jesus. And that is an incredible thing to witness. And more and more people should see, oh, you really are a child of God. Now, maybe as I say that, you're encouraged. Because you can see so many ways in which the Spirit has worked to make you more like Jesus. Think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5: Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know if any of you are singing the song in your head. I tried to avoid that melody, but um, But yes, do you see then how God has made you more patient? Maybe over the years you've seen that as you've got older, you've become more patient or how you've been able to find joy in him even when life's circumstances have actually been getting worse. But then maybe when we talk about the Holy Spirit making you more like Jesus, and if I'm honest, I'm in this boat too, we actually think, start to think then about how our patience isn't perfect. Or that we don't really love God and love others as fully as we should but can I just reassure you that that's normal because here's a very key point. You are not Jesus. That's exactly why we need his perfect record because we never will fully live a perfect life. But I also want to make it perfectly clear that if you have the spirit, if you're trusting in Jesus today, you'll not stay the same because God cares about the glory of his name so much that he gives his own spirit to transform you. And now maybe you're thinking, well, that's great, Scott, but like, how does that look? Well, as you read God's word, the Spirit will open your eyes and your mind and your heart to make these words go from just ink on paper to something which genuinely sinks into your heart and convicts you and challenges you and changes you and gives you new desires. He transforms you. And suddenly you care immensely about the poor and the vulnerable. Or your love for Christ as you read the word increases so much that you actually can't help but overflow and tell other people about him. Maybe you naturally long to be accepted and please others, like most of us. But the spirit comes and he gives you a fresh desire to live for that audience of one. Now, if any of this sounds likely, if any of you think, oh, I don't think the Spirit could do that for me, it's not because the Bible has low expectations of the Spirit. It's because we do. Like, when he comes, he comes in power. Think about the disciples, for example. They had Jesus by their side for years, and you would think, surely that makes such a difference. Surely they would go out and be bold, and yet when the When things get tough, they run and they go and they leave. Peter denies Jesus three times. But what happens then when the promised Holy Spirit comes? That same Peter who denied Jesus three times goes and preaches the gospel to this huge crowd, suddenly becomes bold, and 3,000 people are baptized as a result. These people were not impressive people, but do you see how the work of the Spirit very clearly transforms them and makes them bold for living for Jesus. So how do we today then nurture the Spirit's work of transforming us? How do we keep in step with the Spirit rather than going against him? How do we be people who are continually filled with the Spirit like the Bible talks about? Well, I'm sure most of you have seen a group of people marching. Everyone is in step. But how does that happen? How do they become in step? Well, it's because right at the start, they listen to their directions, don't they? If we want to be people who bring glory to God, well, then let's get to know him. Let's listen to his very words, which he gives us in this book, the Bible, and allow his spirit to shape us then through them. Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And so yes, that involves getting stuck into God's Word. But I also think this includes that almost dying art of actually talking to other people about our faith. And I don't mean scary evangelism. I'll get to that in a bit. I mean asking Christians that you already know, that you know well, that you're friends with. Just asking them how are they doing in their faith. I mean even sharing a verse that's encouraged you. I mean praying with people, all of these things, just talk about our faith with one another. I meet up with Dan, our youth worker, for any of you who don't know him, uh, to go through some training stuff. But we share about our faith as we're doing so, and it's so, so helpful for me. Like I learn so much from him. And I love when I get chatting with my housemates about Jesus I love whenever a friend shares a prayer point with me or when I get a Snapchat from someone even which shows a bit of the Bible that they've been reading. Like I need these things to actively remind myself of Jesus. And having Jesus in my mind is already a way that the Spirit will use then to work through very ordinary means to prepare me to glorify God in the everyday tasks. Because whenever I come to a decision, I've got Jesus in my mind to consider what would be the right thing to do to glorify god in this moment i worry that in church we've forgotten to talk about god in our everyday conversations even with believers and maybe a good start for us would be to ask a friend this week how they're doing with their faith or share something with them even that god has encouraged you by or share a prayer point with them just something to point them to Jesus and praying that the Spirit would use that to fill them. And because as a result, we should see an incredible growth of fruit in their life as the Spirit uses them and works in them. Imagine the vibrancy of this church alone if we started to do that for each other. People would not be able to deny that there's something different about us. And this relates to our final point because The Holy Spirit equips us and uses us to build the church. I don't know if you've ever considered a human body made entirely of hands. I kind of hope you haven't because it is a little bit disturbing to think about. Uh, But this is a sort of image that Paul then writes about uh, when he's talking about our gifts of the Spirit. And he talks about how all our gifts in the church are different from one another. And yet that very fact means that we need each other We need our church and our church needs us. The hand can't say that he doesn't need the eye because then how would he see? And the eye can't say to the hand that he doesn't need him because then how would he pick up anything? If we're gonna reach our community, if we're gonna reach this city, then we're gonna need to work together to bring glory to God because he needs to use each of our gifts, each of our services, you need your church and your church needs you. Now, some of these gifts are very extravagant, but some of them also actually appear pretty mundane. And Paul gives three different lists of them. None of them, though, are a definitive list. And I think the point of that is actually that a spiritual gift is anything that the Spirit uses to build up the church in Christ. We're not actually asked to work out which one our is and to work harder at it but we are told to serve the body of Christ. So yes, part of that is using your specific gifts, but it also means simply saying that, here, I'll give a hand to put out the chairs here, or I'll give you a hand to clean up. Knowing that all of these things can be used by the Spirit to actually build up the church. Have you ever encouraged someone? Ever shared a verse from the Bible with somebody? Ever invited somebody around for food? Given someone a lift, Look after someone's kids? It's crazy like how simple and surface level these seem whenever I talk about them. But these are the very things that the Spirit is going to use to build up the church. It can strengthen a believer or it can even be part of somebody's journey to salvation. Your gifts and service are how the Spirit works in power through you. But now I mentioned earlier how I'd come back to evangelism, the thing that some of us try to avoid Um, because what about the times when you don't necessarily feel gifted? But you know that the person you're talking to needs to hear the gospel. Like it just happens in that moment. When you know that this is too good not to share or too applicable to what they're talking about not to share it. Or you feel you don't know enough. What about those times when you don't feel bold? Well, here's a promise of the Holy Spirit that I think we need to grip onto because it is fantastic. And it's from Luke 12, verse 11 to 12. It says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus is telling us that we are going to experience the empowering presence of the Spirit as we need it. This aspect came up time and time again as I was preparing the talk. And I think God was showing me something of the reason why we so often don't feel the power of the Spirit. We don't feel like we experience the Spirit. Like without a doubt, He has and He is working in mighty ways in your life as a believer. But let's not forget what Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as. He calls him the comforter. We're so caught up in this idea of our ideal life being one of comfort. Where we never put ourselves forward in case somebody thinks that the good news of the gospel is offensive. Why do we not experience the comforter as much as we maybe should Well, maybe it's because we never actually go to put ourselves in a situation where we don't feel comfortable already. We need to be people who trust this promise of the Holy Spirit and who reach out to those who are lost. My eyes filled with tears this morning as Marty talked about those um, who haven't yet accepted Jesus yet. These are people's lives which are on the line and which this is going to make a difference to. Like these are genuine people who the Holy Spirit can transform and bring life to. There are people longing to hear some good news spoken into the mess of this life that we're living in. Maybe some are even here tonight, longing to find purpose, longing to know God, trust that the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say. If you want to experience the power of the comforter, and sometimes you need to be in situations where you're not already comfortable, Jesus came down into this mess of a world, living a perfect life that we could not live, paying an extortionate price on the cross, namely his life, for sins that he didn't even commit, and all so that we could have our sins forgiven in him, by the work of the Spirit, applying it then to our lives. That is an incredible truth, and that should give us real joy to know and give us every reason that we need to want His Spirit to fill us. Now before I open up the q and I'm gonna pray quickly. So if you wanna text in questions or you wanna wait until just I take from the floor, work away, but let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is not silent. Father, we thank you that you come by your spirit and you teach us and you change us and you mold us to be more like your son. Father, I pray that as we have learned more about who your spirit is and how we experience you through your spirit, I pray that our expectations are raised of him. When we pray, would we expect the Spirit to work miracles? When we talk about Jesus, would we expect the Spirit to create faith in people's hearts? When we read your word, Father, would we expect those truths to impact our hearts and minds? When we're tempted, Father, would we expect the Spirit to give us alternative desires? And in light of your truth, would we walk in line and step with your Spirit? thank you so much father for this open invitation of salvation and father i pray that each of us would go out here with a fresh sense of how your spirit works in us but for those of us father who have not yet come to know you i pray that they would see that this invitation is open that jesus you have paid all on the cross and what we're told to do is to turn in repentance and faith to you Trusting that you are enough. Trusting in your word. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll check my phone to see if I have any questions. Sorry, but I will open the floor, first of all, uh, to uh, any questions that you have about the Holy Spirit. So you can just put your hands up. And if i have any, I'll go with the... One's from the phone. Okay, I have a couple from coming through for text. So, has the Holy Spirit ever directed you to choose choose a specific path in a difficult situation? Yes. (laughs) So, I'll explain. I think the one that comes into my mind, first of all, would be So for those of you who don't know, I did an internship in this church a couple of years ago. And how that came about was, uh, long story short, is there a long story short? I'll try to make it short. Um, Essentially, I was in uni in Dublin, in Trinity, and I felt like God was opening up doors um, for me to explore what ministry looks like. And I already felt committed, like, to a degree because it's a three-year, I was a four-year degree, sorry, and I was already part of it and I was like, stopping in the middle of this is gonna be difficult then to get back into. And also, it had never crossed my mind um, to maybe go into ministry. Uh, I had My eyes set firmly on going into genetic research. And so, whenever this came along, I had a real moment of panic. <laughs> um, And through what I was reading in God's word and through opportunities that were um, coming up and through conversations that I had, I kind of realized that I needed to take that step of faith and to trust that this was actually God leading me. And so it got quite difficult um, whenever I was trying to tell uh, friends and family and they were questioning, well, why are you doing this whenever you're good at science? Like, just stick to what you know. Um, And it became very difficult and I felt somewhat pressured to just keep going down that one line of just going after science. But I think because it came up so strongly in conversations and through God's word, what I was reading, um, about people like like showing faith and God actually blessing them as a result of that and teaching them more about himself as a result of that, I figured, you know what, I should probably um, take that step. And so that was one of those things where I was like, easy way, it's quite often, it's not the easy way to go. Um, The easy way was the one that I wanted to go towards, but the Spirit was actually um, maybe trying to show me that a year out was a really good thing. And thankfully, it was a really good thing. Um, It would have been a bit of a nightmare if I hit it my year as an intern, but I loved it. And I do actually want to go down um, that line of ministry, uh, down the line. So... Thanks for that question. I don't know who that was because I don't think I've got the number. Um, okay, another one. Oh, it's a long one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry, there's the old story with this little Um When we fast or pray or confess to God, is that the spirit in, in us drawing us back to God to help us grow in our faith and relationship in him or is that our human self seeking God Okay, so when we fast or pray or confess to God, is that the spirit drawing us to God or is that our own self seeking God? I believe this is the spirit uh, pointing us to God. Um, so in Paul talks quite a lot about how we are still in the flesh and so we are still battling, um, we're still in this spiritual warfare per se, um, and that our flesh is going against what the spirit wants. So our human flesh is, as we said, dead in our trespasses and sins, but it's the spirit that gives us life. And so I think anything which is pointing us to God, any time when we're confessing to God, showing humility and dependence on God, and showing that actually we've gone wrong, I think that has to be the spirit of God within us, drawing us to himself and pointing us towards him again. So I hope that answers the question okay. Um, any from the floor? I have a couple more text in. Trying to look around, friends. We had a much more controversial one apparently last week. Um, so how do you know if something is a prompting from the Holy Spirit? Um, Marty will be back next week to answer that question. <laughs> um, so how do you know if something is a prompting from the Holy Spirit? Okay, well, maybe a number of ways. So first of all, I think any decision that we make, anything which we feel is God's prompting, we have to weigh it up with scripture. And so if you feel a prompting to punch somebody in the face, it's probably not God. In fact, it's definitely not God. Um, So weigh it up with scripture first. Is it biblical? If it's biblical, then you're maybe on to step two, which is maybe like the more difficult bit. And so I guess weighing it up with what is your natural inclination. So if it's like, uh, the spirit told me to go to a party tonight. It's like, well, maybe that's just you because you really want to go to the party tonight. It's not necessarily wrong to go to the party, but is it just your own inclination of like, this is what I think is fun or the good. Um, So weighing it up against that is helpful. But also, the Bible doesn't talk to us about every individual um, circumstance that could come up um, in life. It doesn't talk to us. It doesn't tell us um, how to deal with every question that comes our way. And so there is a sense in that God just wants you to, well, there's a book actually, sorry, this is what's come to mind. Um, there's a book called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. And it's very helpful for, I guess, answering this question. But essentially he's saying, so many times as Christians, we have all of these um decisions to make, we've big choices to make in terms of career and stuff, and sometimes we sit around as Christians and say, I'm just gonna wait until I hear God tell me what to do. God quite often doesn't talk in an audible voice like that, and he doesn't give us things which are so specific in the Bible for that. And so there is a sense in that sometimes you just have to go and trust that God's gonna use you in those circumstances to bring glory to him. So I guess it's kind of difficult to answer um, whenever I don't know a specific situation. But I guess prompting from the Holy Spirit, it has to be something which lines up with Scripture. It has to be something that's maybe been put in your heart for a while, maybe come up in conversations. There are just a number of ways that actually God can point you to things and to try and specifically answer what that's going to look like is maybe quite difficult. So if that hasn't answered it, Marty will be back next week um, to answer it. Uh, Any final questions? We can maybe have time for one or two more if there's any more from the floor. Yes, absolutely. So I don't believe that somebody who genuinely has the Holy Spirit can lose the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians, Paul talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit bringing eternal life. And like, when does eternal life end? Never, because it's eternal. It's the very thing that makes it eternal is that it doesn't end. And so my thought on that would be, that if he is a genuine Christian, if he genuinely um, has the Holy Spirit, like if he was trusting in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit couldn't have departed from him. Maybe he didn't necessarily feel as close to God or didn't necessarily see an abundance of fruit in that particular time, but if he's shown signs of being a Christian and if he's genuinely been um, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I don't believe you can lose the Holy Spirit, lose your salvation. There is another question, I suppose, that arises from that of whether you're a Christian or not from the start because I guess sometimes you can enjoy church life, you can uh, understand the gospel in a way which just is logical but doesn't make a difference to your life. And so maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelt in you from the start, but that I think quite often the case is that people... um, Then experience something that makes them think that the Holy Spirit's left them and it's not actually the case. So I hope that answers the question. Okay. The Reverend Anderson seemed to sense something that he left the home. I'm quite sure he left it with a very hearted feeling. Okay. Shortly after your life, home, the whole guy, to say that the gentleman had passed away in the eternity. Very, very frightening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess. I would imagine that uh, the minister there probably knew the guy somewhat um, well, and so hopefully that was a case where he knew already what his stance was on faith, where he stood if he was a believer already. Um, But yes, I don't believe you can lose your salvation um, or the Holy Spirit, if that's a simple way of putting that question. Any other questions? Uh, But now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.